Yeah, so this week we will go about the role of a chief data scientist, of a chief data officer, sorry. And we have a special guest today, Marco. Marco is the chief data officer at OILX Group. OILX Group, this is the place where I work as well. So we are colleagues. Uh, before OILX, uh, Marco worked at Spotify, Twitter, Facebook. I probably miss a couple of companies. You also have uh, a PhD, right? Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, welcome, Marco. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here um, and, and to be a part of this community as well. So thank you very much. And sorry that I, I, I shifted dates around a little bit. Uh, thank you for your, your flexibility. And then I hope we still get a, a good audience today, despite it not being on Tuesday uh, or Friday. It's, uh, I anticipated that it would be difficult uh... To schedule a meeting with uh, the CDO. So, <laughs> anyways, so before we go into our main topic of the role of uh, a chief data officer, let's start with your background. So, can I can you tell um, us about your career journey so far? Sure, happy to do so. I'll, I'll start all the way back. Um, so, I have a, a degree in computer science. I'm Portuguese, grew up in in Portugal, um, got a degree in uh, computer science. And then uh, I realized that I like people more than I like computers, and I hope I don't offend anyone with this, uh, which made me um, move more into trying to understand people and how they use computers, because I still love technology, uh, more so than just spending all my time with technology. And because of that, I ended up getting a, a master's in information systems, which was a way of getting information about how people are interacting with systems quickly, uh, which is now called data science. This was a long time ago. And then ended up uh, getting a PhD in related topics, also moving towards the, the more qualitative understanding of users as well, through user research, a variety of insights disciplines. So, so that's a little bit of my academic background. Had a lot of fun, worked on uh, quite a few different areas during uh, my studies. And then ended up um, moving to the US where I joined Yahoo and I worked as a research scientist that included quite a bit of data science, pulling data, making sense of it, understanding opportunities for us to build innovation primarily there. Uh, quite detached to be totally transparent from the product development that was happening in the company and looking uh, quite a bit further ahead. So five, 10 years out. So I worked on things like augmented reality on mobile devices. This was over 10 years ago before Pokemon Go and all of those things uh, came about. Uh, live video production before Periscope existed uh, and a, a bunch of fun projects. But again, the goal was to publish, write patents, which was fun, but not a lot of impact. So I ended up moving to Facebook. Uh, at the time had less than 1 billion users, worked a lot on trying to understand how can you, we expand on the, the products that we have uh, how can we build more value for our users? Again, leveraging both qualitative and quantitative, quantitative data and, and figuring out how can we solve user problems in the best possible way uh, through technology, through software and uh, design of it as well. And um, yeah, had a lot of fun, stayed there for a couple of years, then ended up moving to uh, Twitter to continue doing the same thing, but then scaling up my impact through management and, and building teams. Uh, I spent a few years at Twitter. Uh, all of this was in the Bay Area. And then eventually I moved and I, on Twitter, I worked on a variety of things all the way from, you know, the launch of a um, ranked timeline that leveraged ML to uh, organize and, and rank tweets based on someone's interests versus the typical reverse chronology, which is a pretty controversial moved by Twitter, but ended up working really well and, and it's still maintained. Um, and then I ended up moving to Spotify in New York, where I also led a bunch of data science teams, marketing insights, started to build marketing analytics, user research, uh, and a variety of other uh, growth strategy and a few other disciplines, always with this goal of how can we use data to make smart and informed decisions that are gonna benefit our users. And, um, I think nine or so months ago, I uh, moved back from the US to uh, Europe and I joined the OLX group where I, I uh, have the role of uh, chief data officer. So it's been a, a fun journey so far. Yeah, thanks, uh, quite, uh, quite a journey. And uh, you, I don't, I haven't met many people who say that they like people more than computers. So usually it's the opposite. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, so can you tell us what do you do, you do at Twilix as a chief data officer? Yeah. So um, 
A chief data officer is a fairly new role um, across, not just within OLX, but across our industries. Um, and it's still being defined as we go. But in, in my case, um, I am responsible for defining our broad data strategy. And, and that includes quite a few pillars, all the way from data infrastructure and our governance to um, you know, what kind of data do we need for us to continue expanding on our business and the value that we bring to our users, uh, all the way to how do we make sense of that data and make it accessible across the different organizations that are part of our group. How do we leverage that data to make better products through technologies such as artificial intelligence, machine learning, and overall working with the different business lines, business units, teams that we have across the group to, to make sure that we are prepared for the future and we're delivering the best possible value for our users and anticipating needs that they might have. Mm, that's uh, quite a lot uh, of things. Indeed. Um, yeah. <laughs> So I, I was also wondering what this CDO does. And um, I read an article before our chat. I read an article about this. So the article was about like the role of CDO or something like this. And um, so here is the summary. So in, in this article, it was saying that uh, there are four main responsibilities of a chief data officer. So the first one, governance, which is monitoring and governing enterprise data. I think you mentioned governance uh, as well. So then operations, uh, it's enabling data usability and availability. I think you also said that uh, like we need to uh, use uh, the data. That's one of the things you mentioned. Then the third thing was innovation, driving cost reduction and generating revenue. Yes. And then the final one was analysis, supporting analytics and reporting. So yes. do you think it's uh, the accurate description of a role, uh, of a CDO role in general, or something is missing? It covers part of it. I think that's a more traditional, uh, maybe I would say slightly outdated view on a chief data officer role. Um, I think as we move forward, the integration with innovation, product development, business strategy become more noticeable in chief data officer roles because data is such a crucial part of any business, right? It's what indicates how your business is performing. So that ties to the analytics but it's also what powers a lot of the product development and the product working itself, having the right data to enable ML applications to solve different problems, of course, such as on the access and usability of that data, such as on the collection and um, uh, safety and, and uh, use of that data as well, but it also touches on understanding what are the problems that you're trying to solve. And not just from an efficiency perspective of, how do we collect, store that data, make it accessible in an efficient way and innovate from that perspective, but also how do we understand our user base, our customers, both external and internal, so that we can use this data to solve their problems. And, and I think that's the direction that we're moving more towards is having uh, people in a position of being able to drive the data infrastructure and organizations but also understanding the real business problems that can be solved through data. Often what I see is that there's a bit of a disconnect between you know, business leaders want something to happen and they have clear problems that they need to solve, but when they talk uh, and have interactions with, of course, not always the case, but in some situations with the more technical side of the organization, there's a slight disconnect because the technical side is usually focused on, here are some technical problems that we need to solve, uh, versus also thinking about how can we go beyond that and use technology to solve some of the problems that are of our users externally and the business. And then the, the point that I um, mentioned that I think is part of the role is not clearly articulated in that list, uh, at least in, in my view, is this ability to, or responsibility to look forward and think about how can we uh, design for the future and design for data. And, and what I mean by that is in some regards, uh, data is gonna continue powering a lot of the innovation that happens. And the more data you have, and that includes different types of data, the more you'll be able to do with it and the more you'll be able to think uh, uh, on what to do with it. And that could be as simple as sometimes, you know, um, asking a user a question during the signup flow or collecting some uh, contextual information such as location when some level of interaction happens. And for the most part, I think a lot of companies are doing that by default, 
but often think of data as a consequence of the products that they have, not a driver of the future products that they can have. And, and I, I like to think that is part of the responsibility of the chief data officers to think, you know, three years from now, what data will enable us to do something that we don't do yet? And how can we get that data in an uh, ethical, responsible, and safe way? <laughs> so basically, you and your role need to think about all these things. Like, I, I don't know how many things we mentioned, five or six. Uh-huh. And uh, how is it even possible for a single person to keep track of, of all that? Uh, like, uh, I, I imagine that you don't, uh, you know, just go there and analyze. You also don't go there and, you know, develop an infrastructure. You delegate a lot. But how do you keep track of all that? How do you know which things need to happen and which don't? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, well, one, they're all to some extent related, right? The production of data, the collection of data, the access to that data, utilization, uh, modeling that data so it can be used in different contexts, thinking about those contexts. But ultimately, it comes down to working with different people, right? Uh, no single person can have the answers for uh, all the questions that um, have to do with data and, and all the applications of that data in whatever business context. So building the right teams, having the right teams, you know, having the right people that know much better than me what to do. And I can offer the context, the, the, the resources or the support for them to, to drive uh, aspects of the vision that is created jointly forward. So I, I think that is key to success in, in your organization where uh, we have a complex set of goals that interact with each other. It's, having the right people that share that vision can communicate that vision and work together to, to deliver it. So basically uh, for each of the sort of pillars or responsibilities, let's say we have this operations part. So maybe you would have a person who leads the, uh, like a department, maybe a director of engineering, right? Or director of data engineering. And then you would have other people who would take care of each of the pillars, so to say. And then your role is to keep everything in, uh, in mind at the same time and try to make sure that they are not disconnected, right? So everyone uh, like has the, the same context and understand why we're doing certain things. Is it a accurate summary? Yes, I think so. To some extent, you know, the organizational design varies depending on many things. The companies are more and more distributed and there's interaction between those teams that sometimes might mean they should be together, sometimes separate. There's various types of organizations, but absolutely my role is more to enable, extract the information and the vision from those different teams and try to articulate in, into a single vision or single strategy that uh, makes sense for both the business, but also continuously delivers value to our users, which is the biggest driver of the business. Anyway. Yeah, thanks. Well, we already have a question from Smil. And the question is, what skills are necessary to go from head of uh, data science or analytics to CDO? And I think uh, this is uh, something I also wanted to ask. How did you go from, uh, like at some point, you were probably also head of uh, something, and then you eventually become a CDO? So yeah, I'm curious, uh, what uh, the journey looked like for you? What did you do to become a CDO? What, uh, what did I do? Uh, it's probably going to take quite a while to, to discuss and, and to be honest, to map exactly the things that led to this path. It's also a, a, a tough task. But in, in general, I think the key differences are not necessarily in terms of skill set, is in terms of uh, where you spend your time. And, and I think... Uh, more and more as you try to, to progress in a career and, and take a more, I would say, strategic role. Uh, and, and that's, I think, um, the, the consequence of moving in the direction of a CDO is becoming, or the, the requirement is becoming more and more strategic. And, and that means sometimes uh, prioritizing aggressively to focus on the big picture, the vision, the distant uh, objectives that you have versus the tactical operations on how to execute that. And then, you know, I think this is always key in any type of leadership role is the ability to really empower and enable people to do the best, hiring people that can do that much better than you and being able to scale yourself and not get too attached to the solutions and the the execution of of that vision. Uh, In the end, you're going to rely and depend entirely on the the people that can do that with you. Uh, So... Um, I think my 
journey has always revolved a lot around being able to work very closely with people and surrounding myself with people that can do amazing things and, and working more as a facilitator and enabler of their fantastic work. And of course, I, I don't want to, you know, um, mischaracterize the requirements of uh, this type of rule. And I don't think that is specific to CDO, it could also be CTO, CPO, etc. is having a good understanding of the craft and, and some background that helps you, you know, guide people that maybe sometimes are more technical with you than you, sorry, and, and bring them along the journey with you and having constructive conversations around that, which I think are pretty hard to do if you don't have any uh, domain knowledge, right? If you don't understand the craft, if you don't understand the, the technology, it's hard for you to, to drive, not impossible, but hard for you to drive uh, a group of complex organizations and, and being passionate about what you do as well. And like you said in the beginning, investing quite a lot of time into it as well. Uh, I think it's, it's uh, achievable by anyone just as long as you focus on uh, delivering the best possible impact for your business using the tools that you have at your hand. In my case, was um, understanding data and what to do with data. Mm -hmm. So, well, well, maybe to summarize, I think you said uh, you need to become more strategic and uh, you know, always keep the big picture in your mind to have this vision, and uh, you know, maybe uh, get uh, usually. People say, you know, you need to get more down to earth, but in your case, it was, you know, you actually need to, to go a bit uh, above to see like the big picture. Right? And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always curious, like when people say you need to be more strategic uh -huh. and then uh, also people like this strategy tactics and st tactics is something that you do immediately, right? And strategy is something that, you know, long-term, is it uh, the case, right? To some extent, I, I see strategy as, you know, what's your uh, broad plan to get from where you are to where you want to be and more aligned with where you want to be. And uh, the tactics for the execution are the smaller steps that you take along that journey. And those change with uh, more frequency, I'd say, than the strategy and the long-term vision. Okay. So basically, the strategy could be setting up some... Um, um, KPIs or some goals, like this is what we want to do in five years, right? Or in three years, right? And then uh, you kind of, you tell about this vision to others. You try to convince that this is the right direction to go. You try to explain. And then it's up to others to actually decide how do we go there? What needs to happen to actually uh, to be there in three years, right? So this is tactics. Like what are the sequence, uh, what is the sequence of steps we need to do? to achieve our goals goal in three years, right? Yeah, I, I think that's a good example. It would also include, you know, uh, do we have the right people to execute against those tactics? Uh -huh. Are, am I enabling those people, giving them the right resources, setting them up for success? Uh, so that's part of my tactics to, to push forward the, the strategy that I have in mind is ensuring that we have the right people also to build some of those strategy blocks you know, you can break down a strategy into smaller pieces of that strategy that then are executed uh, using some tactics. The line is blurry between the two, uh, but it's exactly the case. Looking ahead, setting some ambitious goals, and then being able to decide what are the components that you need to break this down to make it happen and working with the right people to, you know, again, share that workload uh, across and, and finding hopefully people that can actually execute some of those better than you can uh, yeah yeah and also there is uh, this role called vp of data and uh, yeah, i'm always wondering what is the difference and in general um, like we have uh, let's say we have cto and we have vp of engineering we have uh, uh, cpo who is the chief product officer and then we have vp of product and then we have cdo and VP of data. Yes. And to me, uh, uh, this uh, like CDO and VP of data, these roles look pretty similar. They're quite up uh, in this uh, corporate uh, hierarchy, so to say, right? So the both, I guess, are quite uh, strategic. So they need to think about like what we, where we want to be in three years. So uh, what is the difference between these two roles? 
Yeah, I, I, the difference depends a little bit on the organization, right? The, the size of the organization and ultimately boils down to, to the scope of the role. I would say that for a CDO, uh, you're hopefully a level above in terms of the, the strategy influence, right? You're working very closely with the CPO, working very closely with the CTO, with the CEO, with uh, the CFO, and making sure that, uh, again, you're thinking about all the angles of how data is beneficial for your business and, and used to drive that business as well as your users. And then um, a VP is typically, and again, this differs a lot depending on the size of the organization. You'll have companies that have a VP that is responsible for uh, a subset of their organization that is as big or bigger than many other organizations that have a, CTO, a CDO. Um, but an AVP is typically responsible for a piece of that, right? And that could be attached to a business line, a domain, or a specific one of those pillars that I mentioned could be more focused on uh, the government governance and collection of data and infrastructure, could be more focused on uh, the data science portion or the analytics portion, whereas a CDO by default, it has to have the uh, horizontal perspective. And then, uh, of course, the business component because they're, they're part of the executive team. Mm -hmm. okay. I'm just uh, trying to think maybe of an example. Uh, I don't know, a goal could be, let's say, a certain company wants to make X amount of money or has X amount of uh, market share or something like this. So this would be like a strategic goal, right? So this is where we want to be in three years. Yes. And then you would think of, okay, we have this goal. How do we set our strategy to actually to be there, right? And then you maybe look at all these pillars and try to, you know, understand what needs to happen to be there. Like from the data point of view, what we need to do to actually get that uh, uh, market share, right? Yes. And then... Uh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, and then I was thinking, okay, you do that. And then VP of data would, uh, maybe you kind of decompose the strategy into multiple things and VP of data would take one of the pieces? Uh, yes, to, to some extent. I would say that uh, on the, the CDO level, at least from my perspective, the expectation is also not just to say, here's what we need to do from a data uh, angle to be able to achieve that goal. It is also, here's some goals that we can set that will drive the business in this way, right? Not just thinking of it as a supporting function to drive the business, but as a driver of the business itself, right? If we do these five things from a data angle, the business will grow by this much. So I think there's that proactive component as well um, that is uh, likely to be more present in the responsibilities of uh, a CDO, not in the person, but the responsibilities of the role. Whereas a, a, and again, depends a lot on the, the scope um, of, of the role, but um, whereas a VP is typically attached to a specific component of that strategy, like you mentioned. Uh, but like I mentioned, depends greatly if it's a, uh, an organization that is 200 people with a very clear um, domain or a very clear problem to solve then maybe the role of a CDO in that context is actually smaller than the role of a VP in a uh, bigger context where they own a specific angle of the strategy that is in and of itself much larger, right? Uh, so it depends a little bit, but I'd say the distinguishing factor is typically looking across multiple points. Is it... Uh... Do, uh, like for a CTO, um, do they usually have uh, multiple VPs reporting to them or just one VP of data? Or I think it depends greatly on the organization. Yeah, I, I think in many cases they can have several mm -hmm. depending on how they structure the, the organizations. That, you know, it, let's use a, a practical example that um, is, is not necessarily attached to any of the companies that I've worked at, but you could have a company that is split into producers and consumers of some sort of content, right? And then you can have someone who's responsible for a data strategy for producers and someone else is the VP of mm -hmm. data for the uh, consumers. Whereas the, the CDO has to work with both those people and then there mm -hmm. might be other components to that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, again, it depends on, on the organization that you have. Uh, it is not very common to have just one person in the reporting line, 
Um, and then it also depends on the career ladder of the organization. Some organizations have a long and steep career ladder where you have senior manager, director, senior director, VP, senior VP. Some have a more flat hierarchy where they'll have, you know, manager and then director and then VP. So there's, there's a little bit of, of that going in there as well. Yeah. Uh, a few companies back, I worked at a company where we had a CTO. And then the CTO had the VP of uh, engineering reporting to him. And that situation seemed pretty strange to me. It looked like a a VP is doing all the work and the CTO actually just manages one person. So (laughs) I was always curious how actually, like how do they split the responsibilities uh, between each other? Because like, if you look just from like at the hierarchy, like this organizational structure, it's actually like, okay, you know, like... uh, you have CDO, then maybe VP of data, and then VP of data um, has a bunch of people reporting to him. Yeah. Right, or to her. I think, again, it, it depends a lot on the organization, right? If you have to spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, what uh, kinds of data will we need in the future? How do we tie and we enable the business to move in this direction? How do we uh, report data in a way? Or how do you comply with the governance models from a specific region of the world, et cetera? Um, and then you need to also at the same time execute against building this tool, building this framework, building this infrastructure. Then the division of, of work can be fairly simple and there's still a ton of, of work to do um, that is covered by a CDO versus a VP. But like I mentioned, I think that's entirely dependent on the size of the organization, how the roles are defined. And this applies not just to, to data, right? It applies to CPO, to VP of product, uh, for technology as well, as, as well as other functions. So uh, it just depends on how much is there to do and how many people do we need to do it successfully and continue building upon that. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what's the, the main difference between CTO, CPO, and CDO? Uh, like the, to me, uh, like when I look, uh, um, like in the like top management, now it's all about meetings and setting strategy and uh, you know planning for budgets. This uh, the responsibilities look pretty similar. So, what's the core difference between all these uh, people, all these roles? That's a good question. Um... And in practice, it depends, again, a lot on the type of company you have, the type of product. Uh, in some cases, the product is more technology-related. If you're building you know, a, f- a framework or a platform that other companies are going to use uh, versus building something that's users, et cetera. So it varies quite a bit. But I, I would say that typically the responsibilities are, are different in the sense that a CPO is more focused on determining what is the product vision, right? What is the product supposed to do? And then works with the CTO, which is focused on how do we build that and how the product uh, or how we use technology to make that vision come to life. And then um, the CDO is more concerned with, okay, what data do we have that enables us to build that, to inform the direction that we're going in uh, and to continue pushing that, that vision forward. So that could be a, high-level theoretical division of of responsibilities. But like I mentioned, I think it depends a lot. I've seen the case where, you know, some companies, their product is data and there the CEO can likely uh, fulfill both roles. I've seen places where all of those roles are combined. uh, And I've seen places where they're very clear um, differentiated because that's the nature of the product and the technology stack that they have, as well as the data they produce or consume. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe to make it a bit concrete, uh, we talked about this example of, uh, I don't know, GetX uh, market share or like have that amount of revenue. Probably this is a goal that maybe a CEO would uh, set together with the entire team, right? And then it would be up to the CTO, CPO, CDO to actually decide how to decompose this goal and what uh, kind of data initiatives uh, could happen right so like uh, i don't know um we need to make data available to make this this and this available uh, or possible right and uh, so basically everyone thinks in terms of uh, okay what we can do from the engineering point of view like what we can do from the product point of view what we can do from the data point of view right and then it kind of cascades down to uh maybe later to pp of data right who would need to think about a particular chunk of uh, the uh, 
um, I don't know, uh, their strategy, right? And then up to, uh, I don't know, engineering managers and so on, right? Yeah, VP of data, whatever the titles are in that organization, whatever the design of the, the organization is. Uh, again, I would add that the responsibilities of those three C-level type of roles are beyond just you know executing or breaking down the strategy of what a CEO asks for into the specific functions that they represent, but also to provide input and actually offer a vision of the future that that CEO can then put together and, and help ensure that he enables the, the, the other C-level executives to deliver against. Yeah, so I, I like to think of it as a more of a proactive role where you're uh, not just delivering against something that is asked of you, you're offering opportunities to a person that can help you make those decisions or make those decisions for you to move forward. So, yeah, I think you mentioned at some point, like, yeah, if we do... Uh, these, uh, I don't know, five things, then we would achieve um, this goal, right? Yeah. And I'm wondering, like, how do you come up with these things? So how do you know, let's say, if we need to invest into a data platform or how do you know if we need to enable our analysts to process data better or how do you need, how do you know if we need, like, a, I don't know, a better machine learning platform? Like yeah. all these things, like how do you know where the company should go to achieve this goal, I don't know, in three years? Yeah, uh, that's a, a broad question. I think <laughs> there, there's many ways of approaching that. But uh, typically how I, I like to approach that is to, if we've aligned on the goals, working back from those goals and trying to understand what are the blockers for us to achieve that? And then trying to break those blockers down by what is the size or, or the magnitude and impact of that blocker and optimizing for the things that are gonna help us get there faster, right? The enablers typically of what is gonna help you drive that vision forward. And the vision itself is also organized around the impact that it brings to, again, value for users, value for the business. What are the biggest bets that you can take that are going to help your company, your colleagues, and ultimately your users to, to have a better experience, to get more value out of the product or set of products and be able to achieve their goals faster. Um, so, so that's how I, I set goals is understanding what are the big problems around us from a user perspective, from a business perspective, from an organization or technological perspective, and then see which ones that we can solve will drive the most impact and get us closer to the shared vision, not just the data vision, but the shared vision for the company. And then uh, try to work back from those and understand, okay, for us to get here, we now have multiple platforms that slow us down. If we have a common one, uh, we agree that we all can move faster. So let's build that together. Um, so that's typically how you break down goals and, and work backwards from them and try to come up with simpler things and simpler chunks that then you can provide uh, full ownership, accountability to, to people that can drive that uh, further than you can. So basically for you, you care more about blockers and problems than solutions, right? And then uh, your team or uh, like uh, people who, who you work with, then they think about, okay, for this blocker, this could be a solution because we're doing this uh, thing in not a super optimal way. And to make it more optimal, we need to do this. And uh, you just, uh, I guess, trust these people to do their job. You don't uh, interfere. And then you just check that we indeed move in the direction we want, right? Exactly. I think uh, an essential component of that is aligning on how are we going to assess whether we're moving in the right direction mm -hmm. and what are, what are the metrics that help us understand whether we're achieving our goal. And then, of course, you have to have some level of one trust on the people that are going to do that, but also understanding and visibility into how it's progressing so that you can unblock, can enable people, but also correct uh, if necessary, right? Uh, you're experimenting with something and you're moving in the right direction or not, you, you have to make some of those adjustments. And then also to bring the right context. If all these pieces have some level of interaction and people don't have visibility across, it is also my responsibility to create that visibility and to, to find synergies where they could exist. Mm -hmm. So would you say that uh, one of your responsibilities is uh, somehow measuring the effectiveness of different teams, projects, initiatives, maybe not measuring, but uh, making sure that it's measurable, it can be measured, right? Like everything we do, um, like let's say there is a new initiative, um, then um, people agree that, uh, well, okay, we want to uh, 
like define a KPI first, some sort of KPI, and then we both agree that, uh, like everyone agrees that uh, this is how the KPI should move. And uh, your job is to make sure that this is measurable and everyone agrees on the KPI, everyone is aligned, right? Yeah, I think that's the responsibility of any leader or manager mm -hmm. to, to be able to set clear goals and then have uh, clear ways of creating ownership, accountability, and then measuring whether you're moving in the right direction. That becomes, I think, uh, to be fully transparent, even more relevant for a data-focused leader because we live and die by data. So we care a lot about what types of data are we looking at, how we're collecting that data to ensure that we have a good view on whether we're progressing in the right direction or not, generating more data through experimentation, through different trials and, and errors and, and figuring out uh, how we move in the right direction, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, uh, like how many meetings per day do you have? Like to, to be able to do all that, to align with all the people, your day must be full to, like it's full with meetings, right? It is pretty full. I uh, fortunately benefit of having someone who helps me manage my calendar and also uh, having a, an amazing team or a set of teams that I, I work directly with, uh, either under me or uh, across our group that I collaborate with, which helped me minimize the meetings. But nonetheless, I still have around eight to 10 meetings a day uh, mm -hmm. on a regular cadence. I'm trying to reduce that. So I have a little bit more time to, like we were discussing, think long-term and articulate some of those visions and strategies for the rest of the organization for discussion. But uh, right now it's still a pretty uh, jam-packed uh, schedule, yeah. Yeah, so how do you not uh, go crazy with this amount of meetings? Or this is a trait that a CDO uh, must have? Um, I, I, I have a few things that work well for me. One is I like some of the meetings that I have some become tedious, but in general, I like the, the meetings that I have because I typically always learn something from them. And I also like the people that I work with. So I'm very lucky to be part of a broad team that has fantastic people that I enjoy, even through Zoom, spending time with. So that's one of the, the benefits that I think I, I'm lucky enough to have. But then, you know, I also try to plan ahead. And again, I benefit from someone who helps me manage my schedule and, and uh, organizes it in a way that makes sense and I can prepare for. So that helps quite a bit. So I don't have to switch too much context. Simple example is having one-on-ones with my reports in one day, more strategic uh, discussions with uh, external people in another day, with internal people in another day, that sort of thing. Team meetings, different day. So having a little bit of that structure helps quite a bit. And then everything else that I do outside of work as well. Uh, of course, there's some more techniques like documenting, taking notes, making sure that there's action that takes place after the meeting so that the meeting isn't unfruitful and you know we, we move forward and don't have to revisit the same issue over and over again in uh, subsequent meetings. But um, also everything that I do outside of work, you know, uh, sports that help me, you know, uh, separate a little bit from the Zoom world that we live in right now and, you know, uh, clear up my mind, focus on different things, taking some different uh, projects within work as well that have to do with uh, potentially things like uh, inclusion diversity that I'm passionate about and are not so related to the things that I do on a daily basis and helps me sometimes switch context and, and, you know, have my brain thinking about different problems as well. That helps. Otherwise you get too um, closed up in one specific problem and uh, it, it limits your ability to, to think through it sometimes. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Of course. Uh, yeah, do, you, do you have any like tools uh, for that? Like productivity tools? You, man you, you mentioned that uh, you get help. Somebody manages your calendar to make sure that these things uh, happen. Do you, do you use any, tools on top of that to that help you be more effective? Um, well, there are some traditional communication tools that I use to, you know, be in touch and have oh, more, sorry? A mouth? <laughs> well, yeah, sorry. To that, no, the chat tools and, and um, you know, some platforms to communicate with my team and to, again, documentation is, I think, a pretty powerful way of uh, sharing some vision, collecting feedback without necessarily having to spend time in, in a meeting and doing so offline and asynchronously um, or asynchronously. And, and then, you know, uh, typically just being available and having quick conversations that sometimes can solve 
a problem and avoid uh, a meeting just by chatting with someone mm -hmm. for a couple of minutes. Uh, so those are tools that I use that help my, my productivity. But then I think basically it's just keeping a structured schedule, uh, being able to take short breaks as well helps quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I uh, never never thought of uh, you know, charts uh, like Slack uh, as a tool, but yeah. it is. And often it can save you time, right? Uh, you see, okay, maybe this meeting should be just a chart in Slack. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Quite often, multiple times a day, I'd say. <laughs> but uh, these meetings still happen? or? Well, if you can solve the problem through Slack, which often mm -hmm. is the case, yeah, you don't have to have the meeting. But yeah, right. uh, in some situations, the, the Slack or conversation or whatever tool you're using conversation will expedite the meeting because you come in with some context already, mm -hmm. discuss, read some documentation, which is something that I think we're adopting quite a bit now is reading whatever context you have before the meeting starts or right at the beginning of the meeting, which then expedites the conversation and discussion quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, thanks. We have quite a few questions from the audience, so maybe we'll st start going through them. Okay. So the, first, the first question we have is, uh, is the CDO responsible to, beat, uh, to build a data-driven culture, or is it uh, a management role, and how a CDO can achieve that? I think absolutely. I, I'd go past that and say it's everyone's responsibility to build uh, a data. You should promote it. You should uh, explain that this is important, right? Absolutely. So otherwise, maybe product people don't know, or maybe I don't know if they're supposed to know. Or... Anyone in your organization, right? Anyone has to make decisions, and you can always make better decisions if you have some level of information and data or evidence that enables you to make a smart decision. I think it is especially the CDO's role to enable a company or a culture to be data-driven, right? I think there's a part of people understanding that data plays a role and being eager to have that data that helps them make great decisions. And then it's the CDO or the data team's role to make sure that when people need data, they have it available and that they can also think ahead and provide data that many people even thought uh, that would be useful yet, but will be useful at some point to them and, and making sure that people are aware and have access to that. So that comes back to the data usability and so on. It is not just for algorithms and, and products to use, it's for people to use to make decisions. It ties very closely to analytics and so on, which is another uh, component of the, the role that you mentioned. And I think it is the CDO's role to ensure that that is set in place so that data is well democratized, accessible, easy to use, quick to use in a way that uh, you can make fast decisions. And sometimes that means not just looking at data, but producing and uh, leveraging that data to generate insights. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's everyone's uh, responsibility, but uh, uh, CDO should make sure that uh, you know, there are tools uh, for doing that. Right? Yes. Everyone can use these tools. Uh, right. And people are educated as well. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel that remote work uh, is challenging uh, your role, uh, especially when you manage uh, your team? Absolutely, yes. Um, so full transparency, I, I haven't met the people in my team. I've never been to an office because I, I joined uh, OLX uh, after the, the pandemic and, and this trend of remote work started. It has not been, um, I'd say, limiting or it hasn't prevented me from doing the things that I want to do. But of course, it is a challenge. It's, it's hard to build relationships, to get to know people on a more personal level, which uh, in many cases helps uh, some discussions to take place, understanding people's motivations, what uh, makes them tick is, is, I think, a really important component of working with others. And doing that through a little window in your computer um, is much harder than doing that in face-to-face -face situations at the office where you uh, spontaneously meet someone and a conversation comes up and you have ideas, exchange ideas. Uh, it is uh, challenging, absolutely. Uh, it hasn't prevented me from achieving the things that I want to, but likely has caused you know, uh, more work that, uh, and, and more investment into some of those relationships that uh, I'd have to do in a non-virtual world that, that we live in right now. So you need to, to communicate more now in remote world? Yes, yes. And provide more context that uh, often, you know, people can get uh, from the real life context and situational context versus 
now you have to provide a little bit of extra uh, when you have uh, you know virtual conversations. And I think there's quite a lot of research on the added cognitive load that uh, having virtual meetings and reading contextual cues from people's gestures and language and so on uh, that is attached to us living in this world now where everything is online. Yeah. But surprisingly, it, uh, well, from what I saw, this remote work thing uh, is not that bad. Like it kind of works. I think, of course, it's uh, bad not to be able to see people meet in office, but uh, I thought it would be worse, actually. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think it brings quite a bit of advantages as well. It's not just problems or challenges uh, and opportunities. I think the fact that uh, you can now have access to talent that would never want to relocate to where you have an office and you can still employ them and benefit from their amazing skills, creativity, ideas, and perspectives is amazing. So it opens doors for a lot of things and for people to live where they want to live and still work for the companies that they want to work, that have the missions that they're passionate about. I think it's it's a fantastic thing. I am just very sensitive to the fact that it, it's not the same for everyone. Some people mm-hmm. love it and will thrive in that environment. Some people, and I know quite a few, few people like this that still crave the, the human connection that they get out of the office also the fact that it gets them out of the house and you know spending time with others and then you get a chance to go for lunch uh, during your your lunch break um, so it, it it of course brings a lot of options and I think it, it is something that has a lot of benefits uh, that we're still starting to observe but I think it's um, hard to, to debate that it also brings some challenges especially for, for certain people yeah, interesting. By the way, I'm right now in the office, so maybe you can see. Uh-huh. Not, not, not can here. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, I do like this uh, routine of uh, commuting while I'm biking to work uh, and then having lunch and accidentally bumping into colleagues and then have uh-huh. these little chats. So that's cool. Um, so, um, do you think the CDO role requires deep technical skills? And what kind of technical expertise is needed for the role, like machine learning, programming, SQL, something else? Uh, I would say that you can always benefit from having deep technical skills. But uh, like we discussed before, that I think the role um, relies more on being able to look across, find you know touch points between different parts of a strategy, different organizations, different pillars of what data means in our current context. And the definition of data or data science continues to broaden up from uh, applied ML to you know, data engineering to uh, analytics and insights. All of those things are continuing to grow as we collect more data and learn new ways of, of using it. Um, so I think it benefits uh, us more, at least it has benefited me more to have a good level of understanding of the technical portions of it and a good technical background, but not necessarily being too deep into one specific area. Uh, Of course, that can be an advantage in certain contexts, but what has been more useful to me or what has proved more useful to me is being able to dip my toe and understand and being able to converse and articulate my perspective in different areas uh, then being able to dive very, very deep into one specific area. Mm-hmm. So you need to know a bit of everything, but maybe not too yes. deep. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I don't have one specific thing that I've been able or in the past I went deep into. But as you progress in this um, type of role, it is beneficial to then, of course, get a better understanding of other components. And that comes as with the consequence of not being able to spend as much time on that thing that you're an expert to begin with. And given the, the field that we work in and how fast it moves, then you end up you know, uh, not being that much of an expert anymore because technology advances, tools advance, and then uh, it's, it's hard to keep up if you have to keep tabs and juggle many balls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about MBA? Do you do CDOs need an MBA to be successful? I, I wouldn't say they need one because I, I don't have one and I'm in this role. Um, well, the successful part is, is something that we'll see over time, but 
I think it's likely beneficial. Any type of education that gives you a different perspective, especially one that ties very closely to understanding a business and managing a business is likely to be very beneficial, right? That was one of the points that we made at the beginning of the conversation is that I think in a, a, any executive or C-level role, you have to understand the business. You cannot just understand your function and your craft. You have to be able to understand how that can be used to drive the business. And uh, I, I, it's my assumption that an MBA prepares you well for that. I don't have one. I've never gone through the process of getting one. So I don't know what the extent of that will be. And I've met you know, many CEOs, CTOs, CDOs that don't have MBAs. Uh, and are very successful. So I don't think it is a requirement, but it's likely helpful, of course. It's like uh, maybe looking at Mark Zuckerberg and deciding that uh, I don't need uh, university education. Right? I, I think he's, he's <laughs> one of many examples. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, any anyone maybe like it's useful at the end. Exactly. It can be very useful, can prepare you well for certain problems. But, you know, in the case of, of Zuck or any of those very successful CEOs, they're just very smart people that are able to accumulate a lot of knowledge from the experiences that they go through, the challenges that they overcome, the failures that they have. I think that's something that often we don't talk about. Those very successful people went through a lot of failures as well, and they're able to learn from it. And, you know, that experience sometimes, especially if you're managing, managing a big business, is equivalent, if not better than, than an academic version of it. Yeah, maybe this is one of the main, uh, you know, skills of being able to learn from, uh, you know, from all this experience to become a CDO. Because the next question is, what are the main keys uh, to be a successful CDO and how to build the skills? So I think we also talked about this uh, a bit, uh, like at the beginning, like mm -hmm. you said, like you need to be more strategic, you need to have uh, this big picture vision. And you also need to always keep a business uh, side in mind. So don't, not just focus on data, but also think how does, uh, uh, you know, like uh, how is it helpful for the company, right? In general, how do we work together with other um, sort of functions like CPOs, uh, CTO, right? Is there something else that like uh, something very important uh, to be a CTO? Uh I think in terms of skills, uh, softer skills, especially, you know, being able to communicate and articulate right. a vision and a strategy and being able to, uh, at, to some extent, inspire uh, the, the people that will then help you drive that vision forward, I think is, is pretty important. Uh, being somewhat uh, empathetic also to the people that you work with, but also the people that you want to serve through what you do is, is especially important, especially and nowadays where, you know, there's so much competition in whatever area that you work in. And um, if, if you're doing things right, you're starting with your customer, thinking about your users and uh, understanding that your position, your needs are not necessarily the same as theirs and being able to put yourself in their shoes and then uh, drive solutions that uh, are applied to their problems as well, I think is, is a skill that is not important just for a CDO. It's important for anyone who's trying to drive a business to success. Um, and those are softer skills, but I think just as important as some of the hard skills as well. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a question from somebody called Ioannis Z. Uh -huh. Maybe it sounds like uh, somebody we both know. Yep. Uh, so the question is, what was the biggest challenge challenge within the group so far? Given that it's pretty it's pretty diverse group, both geographically and in terms of tech stacks and maturity. Yeah, I, I think that is the the biggest challenge so far. I'd say is that um, we have a, a group that is fairly big, has a, a set of different companies within it. Each of those companies operate in different regions and geographies with different domains and business lines, all the way, uh, uh, you know, from jobs and services to car transactions to uh, classifieds to uh, transaction models and goods as well. So there's a wide variety of business lines of uh, problems, user bases to deal with, and uh, that generates a lot of complexity. And this is even excluding the organizational complexity of us existing in multiple markets, not being able to travel and meet each other in person. I'd say that has likely been the, the biggest challenge is just how complex it is. Uh, it's also the probably the most fun part in addition to working with amazing people is 
being able to immerse myself in so many different topics and you never get bored. There's so much stuff happening all the way from online to offline as well. And in some cases, some of our companies have inspection centers and dealerships and things like that. And uh, those generate data as well, not uh, likely collected in the same way, but relevant and that we can use um, in a, a smart way nonetheless. So uh, I think that's been the biggest challenge, but also one of the most fun things is there's so much opportunity for data, data science, analytics, all of those things to, to play an important role and solve some big problems for our users and for the business that um, it's, it's an awesome thing to be a part of. But it is challenging. There's a lot to wrap your mind around. Yeah, it's probably like at the end of each day, your head must be spinning with the amount of information you you had to process throughout the day. Yeah, I, I won't deny that. That's, that's <laughs> very true. Uh, so we have a question from Carmina. Um, so let's say somebody wants to interview for a CDO position. Uh, yeah. Somebody wants to get, uh, to get hired as a CDO. So how do you... How can you demonstrate the skills we talked about, like looking across the organization, create synergies and so on on that interview? Oh, that's a, a, a super tricky question because I think it depends on quite a bit of quite a lot of things. One depends on what are the skills that are preferred or necessary for that specific CDO role, right? Like we talked in the beginning, uh, CDO roles can have different flavors and different organizations. So it depends on that. Then the second one, um, you know, I, I think it depends a lot on the process. Some processes will have a presentation where you have a case study and you need to demonstrate the communication skills by sharing what you've thought, your strategic skill by, you know, looking at the problem that they gave you and thinking, is this the real problem? Are there different problems associated to this one? Is this the right problem for us to be looking at? And then thinking how you can leverage different components of the resources, the teams and so on that you have to push that forward. In some cases that will happen on one-on-one -on -one conversations. But in general, I, I think it's just demonstrating that you care deeply about the problems that are being presented to you, that um, you'd go and try to gather as much context and information as possible and think about what other data points would be necessary to provide a solid answer to that and being honest when you don't have an immediate answer and you need more data. Because that's part of our role is identifying when we need more data. And then uh, making sure that you're able to communicate that clearly and you'd be able to leverage the knowledge of others and scale yourself up through the teams that you're able to build and, and hire in order to drive those visions uh, to, to fruition. Uh, but it's kind of hard to answer that, that question specifically because different people have different ways of demonstrating those skills, right? But uh, in most cases, just answer the, the questions that are asked of you and show if those questions aren't being asked directly, show that you can go beyond what's just being asked. Yeah, thanks. And some of these things I think are pretty useful for any interview. Basically right. doing this uh, homework and trying to uh, showing that you care about the problem and then doing a bit of uh, uh, understanding what the company is actually doing, what kind of problems they might have. That is probably useful for anyone from junior to uh, junior data scientist to a CDO, right? Absolutely. And then being honest and truthful about what you know and you don't know and not being afraid to ask questions yourself and also, you know, fail and, and say the wrong things in some situation because no one has the answer uh, for everything. Do you have time for one more question? Let's go for it, yes. Yeah. So this is a pretty interesting question. That's why I wanted to ask you uh, from Ricky. So Ricky says that um, he agrees 100% with the empathies on strategic vision and understanding the needs of business. Uh, how to overcome resistance to the details of your vision when somebody maybe disagrees with, uh, with that? Well, I'd say the first thing is understand why they disagree, because in some cases they might have a, a better idea and, and you should be open to taking that feedback and adjusting your idea. Uh, and then I, I, I think um, often, you know, convincing someone that your idea is good or makes sense uh, goes to breaking down the problem and providing the evidence that suggests sometimes it's not the evidence that it might be or that it is a better idea, it might be a hypothesis, uh, hypothesis right? In visions, that, that's typically the case. You have a hypothesis that this will be 
a good solution for a problem that you're trying to solve. Uh, and then having a concrete plan on how you're going to prove or disprove that hypothesis. And what is the data and information or evidence or context or uh, input that leads you to believe that that's a strong hypothesis that you can validate, that you can measure, and that you can uh, at some point uh, prove or disprove. So, so I'd say that, you know, probably the best way to approach it is uh, breaking down the problem and then demonstrating why and articulating in a clear way why that is your idea, but always being open to, to being disproven yourself and to uh, getting feedback. Like I mentioned several times, I like to surround myself with people that uh, know about certain problems much more than I do, and they're likely to come up with better solutions than many of those that I can. So uh, if someone disagrees with something, I always try to understand why, and then maybe together we can come up with a better solution, or maybe I can explain my uh, solution or perspective better. And that's feedback in and of itself as well. So that was like uh, a summary of Persuasion 101 course, right? Uh, kind of, yeah. I, I don't know how, I don't know if this is always applicable, but you know, in some situations, you also have to say it has to be this way because mm -hmm. of strengths that we cannot discuss or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's not a lot of persuasion other than we have to make a decision, then this is the mm -hmm. decision. But more often than not, I think it's more of a, a factor of having that discussion and together aligning on whether that's the right solution or not if you have the time to. In some cases, you have constraints that force you to make decisions very quickly and you have to do those and uh, be ready to fail, but also be ready to learn from it and, and take responsibility and accountability if it doesn't go well. Yeah, thanks, Marco. So I hope it was Thank a you. nice break from uh, your usual uh, routine, from your usual schedule. So thanks a lot for joining us today, for <laughs> answering uh, all these questions, from sharing your experience with us. And thanks everyone for uh, asking uh, being active and asking so many questions. I'm sorry that we didn't cover, but there are still eight questions. Uh, so this topic must be quite interesting for everyone. Uh, yeah, thanks everyone. And thanks, Marco. For coming. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone who dialed in and, and listened. And I, I hope there was some, some use out of this. But for me, it was fantastic and a, an awesome break from the, the usual day to day. So thank you for that. Yeah, thanks. And uh, yeah, have a great evening. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Bye.